every film this actor ever appeared in uh-huh. was nominated for Best Picture. Wow. <laughs> Who is it? Mm, all right. And what state's official song called Abraham Lincoln a tyrant until 2021? <laughs> oh, good Lord. Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life with fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. So you have an actor who's Every movie yeah. has been nominated for yeah. Best Picture. Yeah, got to give me a guess here. Wow. Is this a current actor or someone who's deceased? He's deceased. He died at 42 years old in 1978. Okay. So. Wow, I can't imagine. It must not be a long list of films, but nope. still a it, significant list of yeah. films. All right, who was it? Okay, it was John Cazale. Oh, I remember him. You do? From what? Uh, Dog Day Afternoon. I didn't that see like that. That was like a hostage film. Oh, okay. And he was one of the two guys, kind of an inept crook, you oh, know. He wasn't the hostage, he was a crook? Yeah, and he was very neurotic. I remember that. He was very neurotic. Very. I remember the character. I remember him in Godfather. He was Frito Corleone. He was the brother who uh, got knocked off by Michael Corleone out in the boat. Oh, he was taken out in the boat. Yeah, he's going fishing. Well, he swam with the fishes that day, right? Oh, that's right. <laughs> swam with the fishes. Yeah. Well, anyway, the movies he was in, The Godfather, The Conversation, The Godfather Part Two. Dog Day Afternoon, and The Deer Hunter. Wow. And both Godfathers and The Deer Hunter all won the top prize. But, but all, all were five. nominated. Correct. Jeez. And uh, Al Pacino said of him, he was one of the great actors of our time. That time, any time. That's yeah. quite a tribute. It sure is. And if you see that guy's face in a picture, you go, oh, I remember him. Yeah, yeah I remember him. Fredo. That was sad. That was he a was, sad yeah, character. Yeah, he was the pathetic Corleone. Didn't he... Betrayed the family, didn't he? Yeah, he he did something. He betrayed the family. (laughs) But it was after I died. You think I give these questions just so you can do your shtick? I didn't live to see that one. That was Michael's case. Yeah. All right. Sorry. (laughs) I'm going to move on now. Let me see if I can find a question. Okay, here we go. All right. This is an interesting story. What state's official song called Abraham Lincoln a tyrant well, until 2021? Well, this is hard to believe. Okay, was it a southern state? No, it wasn't. That's the interesting thing. Yeah, it was a northern state, somebody that didn't like him north, huh? See, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in 1865, uh-huh. and for the next 155 years, this song officially disparaged him as a tyrant. So what state was it? I'll say, is it the uh, Northeast? It's actually kind of on the border, but it's in the North. Yeah, like. I call it a Northern state. Okay. But some people didn't back in the uh, Civil a War. Civil War, like uh, it wasn't uh, Tennessee, it was a state. Kentucky. No, it's not that uh, far down. Not that far down. Uh, okay, tell me. The state was Maryland. Oh, Maryland. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now you think of Maryland as a Northern state and Baltimore yeah. as a Northern yeah. city. But at the time of the Civil War, Maryland was Southern in character. It officially remained neutral during the war. 
uh, residents of Maryland fought for both the North and the South. I didn't know that. Yeah, they did not take a position. And according to Britannica.com, Maryland's official state song, Maryland, My Maryland, was written in 1861 as a plea for the state to join the Confederacy. The song refers to Abraham Lincoln as a despot, a tyrant, and suggests Maryland should join Virginia and secede. Why on earth... How did that happen? How did it become the official state song? Well, first, it's titled Maryland, My Maryland. There was a song like that in Michigan, <laughs> Michigan, My Michigan. It sounds patriotic, right? Okay. And it was sung and played for years in state schools with many of its most egregious words omitted. In other words, people performed it unknowingly. <laughs> and the words that were used about war and battles, uh, people thought, well, that must be about the Revolutionary War or the, the War of 1812, you know, much like the Star-Spangled Banner was about the Battle of Fort McHenry in Baltimore Harbor. So, you know, it kind of made sense. It's part of their state's history. And surely the tyrant referred to in the lyrics must be King George III, right? But no, it's Abraham Lincoln. Does it say that in the words? No, it doesn't use him by name. Oh, it doesn't. But the unsung lyrics refer to the state's neck being under the despot's heel. That refers to Lincoln. Hmm. And... They ask Marylanders not to let Virginia call in vain for secession, but to spurn the northern scum. So why did it live on, Bob? Why did it become a performed song? <laughs> kind of unthinking inertia. Oh, that's This cool. is one of those examples of things that kind of live on until people start thinking about it. Yeah, you know? oh, that's funny. It kept being played and played unknowingly by generations. By the time it had been adopted as the official state song in 1939, it had functioned as their de facto anthem for 80 years, and for the next 82 years, it continued to be played. And guess when it stopped? It was during all of the stuff that happened after George Floyd's death. Oh, people really? People started looking at lyrics. You know, a lot of times it was played without the lyrics, and people just, you know, yeah. stand there hand over heart, just like they did with the yeah. Star Spangled <laughs> Banner, not realizing this whole thing is making Let's fun get, of Abraham Lincoln. Let's get rid of Lincoln. Then in 2020, 2021... The University of Maryland marching band said, we're not going to perform this anymore. It's it's not good. And Baltimore's Pimlico race course, the annual Preakness horse racing event, said, no, we're not going to do that anymore either. Because they understood the words then? Yeah, because everybody started examining the words. And uh, Jamie Raskin, you've seen him in Congress, U.S. Congressman yeah. from Maryland. He said, it was written by a Maryland expatriate who was trying to get Maryland to join the Confederacy. It was sung by Confederate troops marching into battle. It has nothing to do with who we are as a state today. So the song fell when many of the other monuments to the Confederacy began to fall. It's one of those kinds of things. Finally, it was retired by the state in 2021. And that's the story of how a U.S. state's official song referred to Abraham Lincoln as a tyrant for 156 years after his death until 2021. It's an amazing story. Okay, Bob. According to Guinness Book of World Records, what comic strip holds the record for being the most widely syndicated comic strip in the world? I think it was Peanuts, wasn't it? No. It wasn't Peanuts? No. It wasn't Beetle Bailey? No. Oh. This is now, still, I believe. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Is it the far side? Nope. Okay, what is it? Garfield. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, Jim Davies. He's the illustrator. Mm -hmm. The comic has been around since 1978, and that funky feline is read in over 2,400 newspapers by about 
200 million people. To this day. Yeah. Davis grew up on a farm with 25 cats. And <laughs> when he started to do a strip, he figured there were too many dogs already in comic strips. So he went with a cat, Garfield, who uh, loves coffee and lasagna and dislikes Monday and diets. I gave you a Garfield cat, a little a toy, right. didn't I, when, when we started dating. One of the first things you gave it as somebody to go along with me when I was going off on vacation. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Because you had a cat. Yes, I did. Come to think of it, I never thought of Garfield as being an unusual character. But there were no cats that were in comic strips at all, except Felix the Felix cat. Felix was. Going uh, way back. Yeah, but otherwise. Crazy cat, some of those things. But yeah. nothing lovable. Or curmudgeon, which Garfield yeah, which, actually was. Was he? Did you read him or oh, still yeah. do? Yeah. yeah, he was kind of sarcastic yeah. and quiet, you know, yeah. sullen, sitting in the corner, you know. <laughs> Had a comment for Like some of my friends, yeah. <laughs> Marsha, what two national treasures have a misspelled state name on them? Two national treasures have a misspelled state's name. Uh, Washington Monument. That's a good guess because they have all of the states, uh, I think, on the uh, stones. Do they? Inside, okay. there's a stone from every state and most countries of the world. I never saw that. Oh, you never went inside? Not inside, no. Oh, you have to climb it. I was there with you, wasn't I? Yes, I don't think... Uh, we didn't go inside. Why is that? I think it was closed at that point. That's They were doing some That's work on I it. because I was there. Okay. So, no, what are they, <laughs> Oh, Bob? she's here. Let's close it now. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the answer? The Liberty Bell... And the U.S. Constitution. Oh, really? What are the words? Well, they both spell Pennsylvania with just one N in the first syllable. Instead of P-E-N-N, oh. it's P-E-N. Despite the fact that William Penn, the man the state was named after, was... spelled his name with two Ns. Yeah. Is but, that... but spelling the state with one N in the first syllable was accepted spelling at the time. Okay. So Pennsylvania. So it's not a typo on the Liberty Bell or the Constitution. Now, besides Pennsylvania, what other words are misspelled in the Constitution by today's standards? By today's standards. Didn't they use some kind of English spellings also back then? Some or? of them are British spellings, yeah. yes. So, uh, color. That's right. Since they were British subjects at the time, we can overlook color. C-O-L-O-U-R. And uh, Just think uh, of another C name. I don't know. Control. That was spelled C-O-N-T-R-O-U-L. Uh-huh. Defense. It was spelled C. with the British, yeah. D-E-F-E-N-C-E. Labor appeared in the document. Oh, spelled, you are? Oh, you are. But the most glaring to many eyes was the words choose. It's spelled C-H-U-S-E. Oh, really? Several times in the Constitution. Was that in English? Choose was also an accepted spelling of the word at the time. But those words are all spelled to our eyes incorrectly yeah. today. Yeah, to our Defense, eyes. control, choose, labor, and uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. All right, oh, wise one. Do you know the difference between a flock of geese and a gaggle of geese? A uh, flock is when they're in flight, and a gaggle is when they're on the ground. In the right direction. Oh, okay. You're flying in the right direction. I'm flying in the right direction. <laughs> uh, any group of birds, goats, or sheep can be referred to as a flock. Goats can be referred to as a flock? Yeah. A flock of goats. Yeah. But each feathered breed has its own title. Hawks, they travel in casts. Quails are bevies. Uh, swans are herds, etc. But a group of geese is properly called a gaggle, but only when it's on the ground. Ah, so I was right. Well, no, you said when in the air. No, but, I said a gaggle when they're on the ground. Okay, I said they're a flock when they're in right. the air. No, in the air, they are a skein. Oh, dear. Who ever heard of that? A skein. Oh, look at this. S-K-E-I-N. Yeah, we always have geese flying overhead here, and we always say, look at the flock of geese. Yeah. No, skein. S-K-E-I-N? Yeah, like yarn. A no skein kidding. of yarn. A skein of yarn. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's just nuts. Okay. It is. Okay. All right. Got another one? Yes. How long is the longest snake ever to be discovered? The longest snake ever to be discovered? Uh-huh. Whoa. Is it a python or something like that? It is. It's a reticulated python. Let me say it's uh, 25 feet long. Ooh, that's long. This is 32 feet and nine and a half oh, inches long. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just scary enough. That's creepy as can be, 32 isn't it? feet. Think about how long that is. That's like twice the length of this room. Jeez, yeah. that's amazing. And you find these lovely native creatures in South and Southeast Asia. Yeah. You know how they smell, Bob? How snakes smell? You mean how they sense smell or how they stink? No, how they... <laughs> <laughs> that could be... They have an aroma? Is that oh, what you're saying? Good, yeah. good distinction. But yeah. yeah, I meant to say, how do they actually smell? Through their eyes? Well, close. Their tongue. Oh, really? Yeah, those little tongues that... Uh, That's what they smell with. Yeah, with their... You know, they're all of us out there yeah, with those little yeah. darting tongues. Yeah. They, that... Snakes have limited hearing and eyesight compared to humans, but they make up for it with an incredible sense of smell done through their... Tongues. Uh, yeah. Wow. All right, Marcia, we had a couple of import-export questions on the show previously, and I got another one here. This is interesting. Which U.S. state of all states is the largest total exporter of goods. This of state goods. exports more things than anybody of value else. than any other California. state. California. That's what I would have thought. That's in second place. California Jeez. has 156.1 billion dollars in goods okay. it exports. Is it is it small state or a big state? It's a big state. Like Texas? It is Texas. Okay. <laughs> Texas is the top exporter of goods in the US by far. In 2020 the total value of Texas exports was 279.3 billion, far greater than uh, California. What do they export? Oil and gas for the most part, oh, but okay. they also export computer and electronic parts, chemicals, and transportation equipment, primarily aircraft, also rank high. So okay. these are the top eight state exporters. Texas, California, New York, then next comes Louisiana, Illinois, Florida, Ohio, and Michigan. Okay. All right, Bob. You've heard of the expression second string? Yes. Like in football, it's the backup people for the starters or first string. That's correct. And they're supposed to be the second best player in that position or just as good as or anywhere. So where does the term second string come from? You want to guess? Let's see. goes back to the medieval days. Does it have to do with puppets? That's my first <laughs> question. That's the, How do you say that? Because I would think it would be a puppet. One of On the strings. String. One of the strings would do marionette. the marionette. Yeah, marionette. One of the strings would hold the puppet. Then the second strings would be for the arms to I move. I love and that, that type guess. Of thing. I, I want to say that's it, just because I love it. But no. <laughs> okay. All right. Is the second string something that is hidden that keeps the seam in place? The first string is the decorative string in a oh. embroidery or Boy, something you're like that. You're just. Thank you. <laughs> I'm you just any wrong is what you're saying. I, yeah. Well, you're just wrong, wrong, wrong. Wrong, wrong. Creative thoughts, but wrong. <laughs> yeah, they are creative. So this goes back to the Middle Ages. Yeah. So it has to do with some kind of uh, clothing, sport. I would assume. Oh, sport. Tell the me. Archers. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. They always carried extra strings in case the one on their bow broke. And the second string was expected to be as good as the first. Uh-huh. And so that... Uh, so that's when, where it comes from. Yeah, from the medieval archers. You you, you know, you get things I hear in football all the time. And uh, 
Who thinks of medieval archers? So can you archers? imagine back then there's a commentator, oh, it looks as though Peter is reaching for his second <laughs> string. <laughs> Boom. Get, will it perform? Will he get it as tight will as the first one? Will it be as good for the king as oh. the last one was? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Quickie. Which polar explorer, Bob, was the first to reach the South Pole and the first to cross the Northwest Passage? I'll give you choices. Amundsen? Was it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> A little snort there. I like that. What? What? Uh, yes, it was. What's his first name? Raul. Oh, for God's sake. Okay, yes, fine. Move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, I guess it's time for a break because I've upset Marcia by being correct too many times. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marcia. Smith. Actually, I think that was your first right one. That's why I was. Oh, thanks a lot. That's why I gave you the United Let's Nations. Let's just go to a break. <laughs> Okay, Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman, host of Okay, Boomer with Robert. Yes, we like to enlighten you with colorful features, Boomer news, Boomer history, but we will also mystify you. And this one coming up in 24, that's going to be really creepy. That's an astronomer standing at ground zero where the 2017 and 2024 eclipse paths will cross over Carbondale, Illinois, the home of Okay, Boomer with Robert. And you can find Okay, Boomer with Robert wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, and we're here with the uh, off-ramp. We do this every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, which has an internet radio station, CPL Radio, and uh, after it airs on that on Monday nights, it goes to uh, podcast platforms all over the world. All over the world. We invite you to visit us on our website, theofframp.show, and give us any thoughts you might have there about my ability versus Marsha's, <laughs> her ability versus mine. Or maybe post uh, some questions there to stump us with. That'd be fun. I have a shout-out. Okay. I want to do a shout-out to Paula Chandler in Appleton, Wisconsin. For, okay. She's 92 years old. Wow. You know what that means? We've got listeners from 10 to 92. Now that's demographics. That's great demographics, <laughs> yes. And they're all great listeners, too. <laughs> Paula Chandler, thanks for listening. We hope you're having a great day. All right, Marsha, uh, one more question here on imports and exports, okay? Mm -hmm. The U.S. produces and uses more of this than any other country. What is it? I'll give you some choices here. Oil, cars, aircraft, or corn. The U.S. uses and produces more of this than any other country. Oil, cars, aircraft, or corn. I would say oil or and corn. Oil. Oil and corn. Oil. It's oily corn, Marcia. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's oil. It's I was crude, right. It's crude oil. Okay. It's a major tradable commodity for many countries around the world, including the United States. But the U.S. produces and consumes more oil than any other country. Even though the U.S. produces the most oil, it's not the top crude producer as an exporter. That's Saudi Arabia. Okay. But we produce and use more of this than any other country. Happy darn. Yeah, a lot of countries produce it, but they don't use as much of it. Okay. Okay. All right. One of the longest running festivals in the world has been taking place in China, Bob, for nearly 2,000 years. What's the English name for it? I'll give you choices. Okay. Is it the Dragon Festival, the Fireworks Festival, Festival of Fives, or the Lunar New Year Festival? And what was the question to this? This festival has been running for 2,000 years. It's the Lunar New Year Festival, isn't it? I would have guessed that too, but no. All right. Is this a Dragon Festival? Yeah, the Dragon Boat Festival. The Dragon Boat Festival. Yes, can you? China's been doing that festival for 2,000 years. Wow. That's something, huh? That's amazing. Yeah. 
Got another one? Yes. Okay. How did a trophy become a symbol of victory? Oh, how did a trophy become a symbol of victory? Okay, now some of the first, a lot of the classic trophies are like cups. Uh So I would assume that the first trophy given to a team somewhere in ancient times was a big cup of wine or something like that. (laughs) That And so that was the how trophies kind of evolved from that. Well, that's much nicer than what really happened. Okay, it was a cup of blood. (laughs) Is it something like that? It's pretty gory. Oh, dear. Let's just say be thankful for the Lombardi trophy and okay. Oh, gosh. (laughs) After a victory on the battlefield, ancient Greeks would build a monument dedicated to a chosen god. And they called the monument a trophy. They would just build a monument. And uh, the trophies were made of various limbs stripped from the dead enemy soldiers. Oh, dear. And then hung on a tree or a pillar. Oh, my. <laughs> so that was the trophy. The trophy is made out of a bag of bones, just a, a ba- bunch of bones. Ba- huh? Well, limbs. Oh. Limbs hanging on a tree or a pillar, and that was called a trophy. And that's where the term came from. So then when people say a trophy in battle and they talk about cutting off an ear or something, that's yeah. where it comes from. Oh, jeez. Oh, and, dear. And some say it's a ritual kept alive today by some modern trophy hunters who celebrate their victory over an animal by putting its head on the wall. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense that that's where that term comes from. Yeah, their trophy. Oh, my God. Oh, that's sad. Okay, well, that makes that, uh, it seems less diabolical to say the trophy of war then because that's where the whole thing came from. Yeah. All right. All right, Marcia, I have a funny question here. All right. Mm -hmm. Why are the League of Extraordinary Cities boring and dull? What? The League of Extraordinary Cities. Why is it boring and dull? What is that, a group? I don't understand. The League of... There is something called the League of Extraordinary Cities. It was formed in 2012. Uh Why is it boring and dull? Because... uh, Because that's the name of the cities, Marcia. It's Boring Oregon and Dull Scotland. Oh, is that right? Oh, that's funny. Think they live up to their names? No, they have a terrific sense of humor. They joined forces as the League of Extraordinary Cities in 2012 to celebrate the unofficial Dull and Boring Day. (laughs) (laughs) That's a huge draw. A lot of tourist booms for their cities. So to make things even funnier, Bland Australia joined Boring Oregon and Dull Scotland. So now there's a Bland, Dull, and Boring Day on August 9th. (laughs) I like it. How did they all get these names? Dull's name comes from a Gaelic word that means meadow. Okay. Boring is named after Oregon resident William Boring. And Bland, that's named after William Bland. (laughs) He was a doctor, writer, and political activist and founder of the Australian Medical Association. Bland. Bland Australia has a sign saying, Bland, far from dull and boring. <laughs> and they have to list the, the miles to the cities. That's funny. <laughs> I thought that was funny. The League okay. of Extraordinary Cities. <laughs> They're boring, dull, and, and bland. <laughs> uh, when you got names like that, you got to do something uh, with them. Okay, Bob, here's a who am I. Ah, here we go again. A profile of a famous person of note, and I have to determine who it is or who it was. What would I do without you to explain everything? (laughs) Explaining means telling why. Oh, go ahead. He helped establish freedom of the press in the American colonies. He refused to reveal his sources for a story he published in his newspaper criticizing the British governor of New York. Okay, The British arrested him and put him in jail for criminal libel. His lawyer, Andrew Hamilton, argued that publishing the truth 
could not be libelous. Mm -hmm. And I love that today, too. This is a famous, famous case. The hand-picked judges ordered the jury to find him guilty, but the jurors refused and delivered a verdict of not guilty. Was it John Peter Zenger? Yeah. <laughs> How did you know that? Yes. I was a journalism major yes, at first. So, and so was I, I, but I don't remember Yeah, that's a very name. famous case in the history of journalism. Yes, yes. He lived 1697 to 1746. Yeah, yeah. That was a famous and, case. And they found him not guilty. And you're right. And Andrew Hamilton, apparently no relationship to Alexander Hamilton, mm -hmm. was an attorney from Philadelphia. So, mm -hmm. yeah, printing the truth. Yes, I, I like that. Big, big case in American history. Thank and, God for that. And my end quote will refer to that sort All right. of thinking, too. Okay, Marcia, <clears throat> let's talk about tea. There is a tea called Da Hong Pao. It is the <laughs> most expensive tea in the world. Oh, yeah? What in the world makes it so special? Is it the fermentation process, the fact that it has no caffeine, um, it's because of, of silkworms being used to make it? Or is it because it's made from plants that are 300 years old? Well, I'll go with the last. That is exactly right. Okay. What a weird thing, huh? Yes. This rare tea is so expensive largely because the leaves are harvested from plants 300 years old. How can that be? I, I don't know. The tea can fetch more than 30 times its weight in gold. One gram of the tea's leaves costs $1,400. Many companies sell cheaper versions of Da Hong Pao. It's a D-A-H-O-N-G-P-A-O mm -hmm. from newer tea plants cultivated in nearby locations, and that's a more affordable way of enjoying it. But the authentic tea is made from 300-year-old plants. Wow. Once it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> well, they must obviously keep cultivating them, Yeah, right? they'd have to, right. Do you have anything else? I do have one more. Okay. On a Monopoly board. Yes. Just a just a remember of the old games. We threw out some. Actually, we recycled some Monopoly games and other games went to to a family sharing recently. This week, yeah. Yeah. So on the Monopoly board, what's the most expensive property? Park Place. Park Place. Is it Park Place, Boardwalk, Baltic oh. Avenue, or Mediterranean Avenue? It's oh, is it Boardwalk or Park Place? Now mm, you got that's me. That's the question, Marcia. I'll say. Board walk. You'll say no, it's Park Place. Park walk or board place, Marcia. <laughs> it's boardwalk. Okay, that's what I said. Yeah, most board of the, the most expensive properties are the dark blue Monopoly properties. And right. on a standard board, they are Park Place, which costs 350 Boardwalk costs 400 That's the most expensive property. Well, wait, what are the prices again? Park Place is $350. Oh, board, boardwalk, boardwalk is, is 400 Yeah, okay. And the houses and hotels cost $200 each. Each, Wouldn't yes. it be nice? So you put all hotels on them on Boardwalk, and you're going to win that game. That's right. That's right. Okay, I'm going to finish off with a quote from Walter Cronkite. This is Walter Cronkite. <laughs> Sorry. I got, you had me going there. Walter Cronkite, CBS News. Here's Marsh's thought for the day. Uncle Walter says... Freedom of the press is not just important to democracy. It is democracy. Yes, that is true. That's a good quote. <laughs> That's true. And with all the misinformation today, I would just add truthful press is important. We have an interesting interview in the off-ramp archives online if you want to go for that. And one of my bosses, my radio days, interviewed Walter Cronkite. And it's a whole thing about how he put the CBS Evening News together and all the facts and checks they made. It's quite interesting. You can look that up online. 
We want to invite you, if you have any questions or things you'd like to contribute, you can do so by going to our website, theofframp.show, and scrolling all the way down to contact us. There's a box there you can leave us information. Okay. Uncle Walter. Uncle Walter. (laughs) This is Bob Smith, along with Marsha Smith. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The The Off-Ramp. And that's the way it is. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin. Visit us on the web at theofframp.show.